Greetings from Equippers Church in London. I'm trying to get my head around the fact that by the time I finish tonight, church hasn't even begun at home. I still can't get my head around that. I wake up tomorrow morning and church in Clapham is only just beginning. It's a hard one for me to, to grasp, but um, it's great to be here. How about just lifting your hands just before we open the Word of God this morning. Let's pray. Let's just invite His presence in. I know He's already here, turned up when we turned up, but... But Jesus, we just take this moment to honor you one more time. We love you with everything that we have. We think you're amazing. We think you're amazing. Father, you're so full of kindness and goodness towards us. No matter what is happening in the external circumstances of our lives, I thank you that Jesus, you love us wholeheartedly. You love us enormously, and no matter what we're facing at this moment, I thank you that there is your love and your grace extended towards each and every one of us in this moment. And Holy Spirit, I pray, even at the outset of what I'm about to share, that you are at work in people's lives. You'll be continuing to work long after this service is gone. And we just invite you to come and do significant things in our thinking, significant things in the situations of our life today that for those people who are in a place of need right now, that Heavenly Father, you would be moving situations and circumstances to respond to the faith of people in this room this morning. And so thank you right now that what every need in the name of Jesus is met. And by faith, we declare it and we see it. And we thank you that you're doing mighty things right around the world and you're doing great things in this city at this time. And for that, Jesus, we give you all the praise and we give you all the honor and we just declare you're amazing in this place in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, how about putting your hands together? Let's give God some praise this morning. Amen. 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 Well, high five the person next to you as you take a seat. Thanks, team. Fantastic. And if you've got a Bible this morning, I'm going to go straight into uh, the Word. I turn to John 13. Uh, scripture going to come up on the screen, I hope. John 13, uh, verse 36 to verse 38 for a moment. Who's got a real Bible this morning? Wave your real Bible at me. A couple of people got some real Bibles. Fantastic. E-Bibles are just as good, though, just in case it's not, they're not secondary. They still are the Word of God. Amen. Here's what it says in John 13. Are you ready to read? It says this, Simon Peter asked, Lord... Where are you going? This is right around the time when Jesus is really preparing to go to the cross to die for you and I. He's in the garden of Gethsemane uh, where they have been praying and the disciples have been gathering. And, and so G, uh, Peter asked Jesus this question. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't come with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. Listen to this statement of declaration that Peter makes in this moment. He says, why can't I come now with you, Lord? He says, for I am ready to die for you. I am ready to die for you. Who thinks that is a powerful declaration right there? I'm ready to die for you. Jesus, I will go to the cross. Whatever it takes, I'm ready to die for you. It's a, it's a powerful statement. And uh, when he makes it, um, I would love to think that if I was Peter making that statement, that Jesus would have replied uh, saying something like, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for making that statement. I appreciate the intention of your heart. 
I appreciate the response of faith in this moment. You're awesome. Wouldn't you love Jesus to say that to you if you had just said, I'm going to die for you, Jesus? But Jesus doesn't reply like that if you know the Bible at all. We probably, most of us know it. He replies with kind of a withering statement that would make me feel really small in that moment. He says, Peter, die for me. (laughs) I tell you the truth. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even knew me. Three times that you even knew me. I want to speak to you this morning really quickly from the thought of follow through. Follow through. I believe as believers that that God wants us to be people who follow through on the declaration of our mouths. That would be people who do what we say we're going to do rather than actually say something and never follow through on it. Uh, as she says in the book of Deuteronomy that God gets really annoyed at people who say something with their lips but actually don't follow through on what they said they're going to do. In fact, it says that God is going to come to you and demand that you pay up <laughs> with the thing you said you were going to do. So this morning I want to talk to you about follow through. Um, I know this morning is Marathon Sunday here in Wellington, and uh, it's funny, it, it kind of reminded me of something. Uh, Monica and I and our four kids are here in New Zealand, which is great, and uh, we're actually on a, on a kind of a long service leave type of break, and so um, uh, we've really hardly ever been t- into New Zealand together, but we decided we would all come together, take a step of faith, and uh, one of the things to help us do that was we decided we would stop renting the house that we are in in London, and uh, we'd save rent for a whole lot of time, and then we'd rent something new when we went home. So we've been packing up our house, and it's really funny, you know, when you pack up a house, you discover things you've not seen for a while. I don't know if that's true. You find things like, oh gosh, I forgot all about that. One of the things I found uh, was a medal that I got in 2007 for completing the London Marathon. Thank you very much. (laughs) And uh, completed the marathon. And it reminded me of just my marathon training. It reminded me of the whole experience. And and what happened is I woke up around about February uh, of uh, 2007, and I just thought, man, I want to do something I've never done before. Anyone ever feel like that? I just want to try something I've never tried, push the extreme, see how far I can go. And uh, so I just thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool to run the London Marathon, which happens in April? So that's a whole 10 weeks. Uh, a whole 10 weeks, that's a long time, isn't it? No, it's not. A, a whole 10 weeks of training. And uh, I, I wasn't a runner at the time. Still, I'm not a runner. I hate running, actually. Uh, but just felt like I'd give it a go. And so uh, I remember my first 5K run. It was long and painful. And, and, uh, but just started to ramp the miles up, which is the wrong thing to do for long-distance running. In fact, they say, really, you're meant to run consistently uh, for at least a year before you start thinking about increasing the mileage. But uh, uh, we went from nothing to uh, attempting a marathon in 10 weeks. And I remember turning up on the day of the marathon, and it didn't help. It was the hottest marathon on record at that time. And uh, turned up and started off on the marathon, and first five miles felt pretty good. First 10 miles, not too bad. Got to the halfway point. Uh, uh, and starting to feel a little tired, which is a warning signal because they say when you run a marathon, the second half of a marathon is like feeling like you've got a whole marathon to run. It just gets progressively harder. And uh, mile 13, feeling a bit tired. Uh, mile 15, really starting to experience some significant pain in different parts of my body. I uh, got to about mile 17, 18, uh, just experiencing a world of pain. 
at this point. And for those of you who've lived in London or, or know London at all, uh, mile 19 is around about Canary Wharf, which is kind of the furthest east you go before you turn back into the city. And uh, I was running with Monica, who had a much a greater level of fitness than I had, and uh, I remember turning to her. She was in good shape. She was on to do a good time, and I just remember saying to her, Monica, leave me. <laughs> just go. Uh, I don't know when or when I'll see you, but just run. I'll be all right. Uh, but she's a good wife, and she said, don't be an idiot, you loser. Uh, uh, let's run together. And, uh, and so mile 19 to about mile 24, I ran, walked, crawled, hobbled, a little bit of assistance in St. John's Ambulance, and, and uh, mile 25, I thought, man, I'm going to run this thing. Uh, this is the last thing I do. I'm going I'm to finish this marathon the way I started it. Uh, and so I, I remember running, and as you, as you come down the final stretch of the London Marathon, uh, you turn down a road called Birdcage Walk, and at the end of it is Buckingham Palace, and it's just a cool ending. And I remember turning around the corner uh, with tears in my eyes, I kid you not, uh, as I thought, wow, this thing is finally over. And, uh, and I finished, and I ran through the line. I'm not going to tell you what time it was, um, but suffice to say, they were clearing up the cones behind me <laughs> pretty quickly. And uh, I crossed the line, and they hung a, a medal around my neck to say that I'd finished the London Marathon. And I tell you that story simply to say, I followed through. <laughs> I followed through. I believe in life, God wants us to be people who, when we say something, we're going to actually do it. If we say we're going to do it, we'll follow through no matter what the cost to do the thing that we declared in faith. And here's poor old Peter. By the way, I love Peter. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I, I just love everything about him. I, I love that he's extreme in nature. I, I love that he did things that no one else would do, uh, that he went places no one else would go. And, but here he is, and in a moment of faith, in a moment of family, he responds in faith to the prompting of his heart. And he makes this declaration, Jesus, I'll die for you. I would say that probably in a room here today, uh, just about every one of us at some point have responded in an environment and made a bold declaration of faith. For those of us going to Shout Conference next week, I guarantee it there will be many moments where we will respond uh, to challenge or to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, where we'll come forward and we'll make a bold declaration of faith. In fact, probably there are people here in this room uh, that in the last year, maybe the last five years, maybe in the last 10 or 20, even 30 or 40 years, you had a moment when you boldly responded in faith, but have not yet followed through on the thing you said you were going to do. I believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to give you an opportunity to revisit that moment of response and put right maybe the thing you should have done but have not yet done. And here's the thing, out of the life of Peter, we, we, we find three times where he denies Jesus. And, and I'm just going to give you really simply this morning three simple thoughts on some things that will help us to follow through on the bold declarations of faith that we make. Amen? We're going to learn from Peter this morning. Turn over to John chapter 18, if you would, uh, just a few hours later in the life of Peter, in the life of Jesus. And we find that Peter is following Jesus. Now he's been taken away uh, by, the, by, the, by the people who really want to crucify him. It says this in John chapter 18, 
in verse 15 to verse 17, it says this, Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Listen to this. Peter had to stay outside. Turn to your neighbor and say, Peter was outside. The disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in, and the woman asked Peter and said, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Here's the first thing we can learn from Peter's, uh, at this point in his life, his inability to follow through is, number one, if we want to not be like that, if we want to do what we say we're going to do, is we've got to avoid isolation. Avoid isolation. I want you to notice that just a few hours ago in his life, Peter is surrounded by his disciples. He's surrounded by the guys he's done life with. He's, just, he's surrounded by his friends. He's in the presence of Jesus. He's in a good place. How many of you know that's a good place to be? He's in a good place. He, he's got camaraderie. He's got people who believe in him, people who are walking with him. And here he is. He makes this bold declaration of faith. But a few hours later, we find that Peter is all by himself, and it's in his moment of isolation that he first gives in to the word of the enemy. How many of you ever watched a wildlife documentary where you see a herd of animals that have been hunted by some lions? Anybody ever seen a documentary like that? I know we all have. And, and what happens is the, the lions are looking for their opportunity to take down one of the animals in the herd. And so what they do is rather than attack the herd as a whole, which they know would be suicide and they know would not profit them anything, they wait and they watch for the weak one who drops off the back of the pack because if they can attack one of the animals in isolation, it's so much easier to succeed than taking on the herd. I want to say to you this morning the way the enemy works, and we do have an enemy. He is real. He's not a cartoon character. He is someone the Bible says who wants to kill and steal and destroy our lives. That the way the enemy works is to look for those who have found themselves just a little off ways from the main herd. Because that person is so much easier to take down than the person who finds themselves in relationship. In community. Do you know, as a church right around the world, we believe in a lot of things. We believe in gathering on a Sunday. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer. Uh, we believe in fellowship. We believe in having coffee with one another. We believe in e-groups. We believe in gathering together wherever we are. Do you know, we do that not because we understand uh, that we have a religious duty in any way, but we do that because we understand there is a power when God's people gather and come together to look after one another. The truth is, the enemy is after your life, and you need people watching you to help you and make sure you're safe and part of the pack. God understood this, and so he set up this thing called the church. And to the church, he gave pastors whose job was to look after the flock so that if one dropped off the pack, they would be there to gently encourage them into the main fold. Why? Because we want bigger churches. No, because we understand the enemy is looking to kill, steal, and destroy those that he can separate and hold off the back. 
So I want to say to you, if you're going to be someone who does what you say you're going to do, number one, avoid isolation. Be someone who's in community and fellowship and loving relationships with other believers. Listen, it's not a good idea. It's a necessity. And I would even say to you this morning, as someone who's not part of your local congregation, I would say if you are doing your Christianity all alone, I'll be bold enough to say you're doing it wrong. (laughs) You're doing it wrong. We were not designed to work in isolation. Listen, when I think about Peter and I think about isolation, I really think there are two ways that we find ourselves in isolation. The first way is when we make a decision to no longer be part of the thing that we were once part of. That's obvious, isn't it? You know, we just make a decision. But what is less obvious is how that decision comes about in our lives. It rarely comes about by someone who is part of church, loves church, excuse me, is called to this church to wake up on Monday morning and say, I've decided I'm never going back there again. (laughs) That's really rare. I don't think Alistair's going to wake up tomorrow morning and say, I've had an epiphany, a revelation that I'm never to go to church ever again in my life. That's not how it works. But how the devil works is he starts to sow seeds in our mind that cause our hearts to start to drift. I want to say to you, the power of drift is incredibly powerful. You all know the story if a boat sets across an ocean and starts off just a degree or two off, By the time it makes it to the other side of the ocean, it is a long way from where it was meant to be. And the power of drift in our hearts will take us to where we never intended to go if we don't make some corrective courses. And I want to say this morning that if in your heart there are some thoughts of drift, some thoughts of, man, I just don't need that anymore. I don't don't know if I like that anymore. Man, Pastor Jordan said something that I really didn't like, and I'm wondering, I'm questioning right now if this is where I'm, I know he would never do that, if I'm I'm questioning right now. I want to say to if you, if that's you, the Holy Spirit is here to, to ask you to make a corrective course that the drift within your heart would be shifted and you would realign back into the main herd of God's people this morning. Here's the second way, though, we get isolated, uh, and really this is how Peter finds himself. I feel a little bit sorry for Peter, (laughs) because Peter just follows Jesus, but after a period of time of walking and following Jesus, he looks around and he discovers that no one else is there. He's isolated, not because he's done anything wrong, but he just kept on walking and nobody else came. A couple of hours ago, everyone's there. They're having a party. This is how we party. They're, you know, they're having a good time and they're worshiping. And Jesus says, well, I'm off now because I'm going to be crucified. And everyone else runs away. And, and Peter, who's just a little bit single-focused and single-minded, says, well, I'll come. <laughs> and so Peter just walks and walks and walks. And then one moment, he's got his crew with him. And the next minute, he turns around and no one's there. Do you know, the truth is, if we are followers of Jesus, sometimes he will allow us to be led to a place where no one else is there. It's just us standing, and the reason he does it is he wants to see, is our confidence in our neighbors or is our confidence in him? 
The truth is, if you're going to follow Jesus for the whole of your life, I want to give you a heads up. There probably are going to be moments when you will look around, and though you may be in the middle of a group of people, in your heart you will feel isolation, and it's not an isolation you brought upon yourself. It's just Jesus allowing you to enter a season where he wants to see, will you keep following him even if no one else will? (laughs) And I want to encourage you at that moment, just keep walking. Just keep following, because if you keep on following, you'll realize you're not actually alone at all. In your workplace, in your university, in your family, you'll think, I'm all alone. But the truth is, you're not all alone. Number one, the Holy Spirit is with you every step of the way. And number two, God is always bringing people around us to help us on the journey of faith. Amen? You're never by yourself. But come on, if we're going to follow through, let's be people who live in community. Here's the second thing. The second thing. Say number two that we can learn from Peter's life. Uh, It says this, uh, John 18, same chapter, verse 25. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it, saying, No, I am not. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself. Uh, Here it is, it's the middle of the night, the Bible teaches us. Jesus uh, is on trial. Peter cannot go in for whatever reason, and he's probably cold. Who knows if he's hungry? And so he finds a fire where people are standing around, and he thinks to himself, I'll go and stand by that fire because it's warm and it's comforting. The problem of standing around the fire was he was surrounded by people who hated Jesus. (laughs) He was surrounded by people who wanted Jesus to die. And rather than saying, I'll move away from this place of convenience and stand by myself where I won't be tested in this manner, I'll just warm myself by the fire. The second thing that's going to help us to follow through on the things that we've said we'll do is when we learn to live with conviction, not convenience. When we learn to live with conviction, not convenience. How many of you know it was convenient to stand by the fire? (laughs) Cold night, no one's around, just warm myself by the fire. It was convenient. I reckon that society uh, has really tapped into this. Marketing has really understood that at our core, we are people who love to live by convenience. I don't know how it is in uh, New Zealand, but in the UK, we have four or five major supermarket chains that have just these enormous supermarkets, mainly out of town. And what they kind of cottoned onto about seven or eight years ago was that people are too lazy to get in their car and drive to the supermarkets. So they'd do two things. Number one, they'd give people the opportunity to do online shopping so you can have your shopping delivered to your door. How many of you think that is awesome? Come on. <laughs> the second thing they realized was that if they took their big mega stores and made them small and put them on the end of your street, that now you don't even need to get in your car anymore. You just walk around in your slippers, get what you want, go back home again because it's convenient. Come on. I'm preaching from an iPad this morning because it's convenient. I have no paper. I have no Bible. I have a Bible, but it's not here right now. It's in my device. It's, it's convenient. 
Your phone right now is a device of convenience. If you've got music in your ears, hopefully not in this precise moment, uh, playing from an MP3 moment, it, it's what? It's, it's convenient rather than bringing around your CD selection or, if you're Pastor Jordan, your cassette selection. <laughs> A-track. <laughs> it's convenient. How many of you love the conveniences of the modern world we live in? Come on, don't, don't lie to me this morning. How many of you love it? You love it. I love convenient living. But the truth is we are called to live a life that is not uh, built around convenience, but is built around conviction. And the problem is that sometimes as believers we've bought into a lie that as Christians our life should all be about the convenience of what Jesus can offer us rather than the conviction of what the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. I feel for Peter because he had a conviction that he had died for Jesus, but he got caught out in a moment of convenience that caused him to profess that he didn't even know Jesus. You know, the truth is the Bible we read and the gospel we live for is not a gospel of convenience. It's a gospel of conviction. It's a gospel of conviction. It's filled with men and women who lived incredible lives, not of convenience, but lives of conviction. I love the fact that Moses went back to Egypt when he had already run away from it, not because it was convenient, but he had a conviction that he was to lead the children of Israel into victory. Aren't you glad Moses lived by conviction? I love the fact that Daniel did not live by convenience, but he kept his bedroom windows open and prayed three times daily so all could see it. Why? Because he had convenience? No, because he had conviction. It was what the Holy Spirit had led him to do. And I absolutely love the fact that we have a Savior who did not live a life of convenience, but lived a life of conviction that actually went to a cross and died for us because he had a conviction of what he was called on this earth to do today. Come on, I believe this morning for some of us, it's like we've got to re-engage with the convictions of our heart because if we're to see a, a town one, a city one, a nation change, we need people who live by conviction, not convenience. I was just saying to uh, Chrissy this morning, uh, she was just saying, you know, parking is a challenge in a city. Uh, back in our church in London, uh, parking is so much of a problem, uh, we've had to put on a park and ride service. <laughs> and so people have to park in a car park and get on a minibus and get minibused in, uh, 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 dropped off, and, and they, we do that kind of, kind of, kind of loops around, and, and the truth is people hate it. If they tell you they love it, they're lying. They hate it. But the truth is, uh, if we're going to live and do everything God has called us to do, sometimes we've got to get over our convenience living and live with conviction to see God do what he wants to do. Come on, right now, what is the obstacle, the wall in front of you that is easily surmountable and easily overcomable if you'd simply say, I'll live by conviction and not convenience? Come on, I wonder what this world would look like if we had more people who said, I'll lay my life down and live by what is deep within my heart rather than what looks easy right now, what looks easy for me to do right now. And, and Peter falls at the hurdle. I, I want to I encourage you, don't fall at the hurdle of convenience. 
nobody ever great or did anything great by living by convenience. But they did it by living by conviction. Here's the third one this morning. The third one, just go with me, uh, verse 26, next verse. Here he is, he's in the middle of the night. (laughs) He's living in this place of convenience. I reckon by now he was starting to feel really bad, (laughs) really bad. He'd already denied Jesus twice already. And the Bible says this in verse 26, but one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus. And again, Peter denied it and immediately a rooster crowed. You see, here he is. It's the middle of the night. It's cold. He's warming himself. And people are starting to realize, Peter, you were with Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was asked three times, but I wonder whether in reality he wasn't having a whole lot of people starting to point the finger at him. Hey, Peter, it was you. Hey, Peter, I saw you with Jesus. Peter, it was you. I I know it was you. I know it was you. It was you. It was you. And the intimidation of the enemy started to get on the inside of him. And he said, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I'm not with him. I don't know him. Here's the third thing. If we're going to follow through on what we've said we're going to do is we need to learn to rise above intimidation. Anyone who ever did anything great for God had to rise above intimidation at some point in their lives. How many of you have had someone who's ever said to you, man, you could never do that. You could never do that. That's going to be too hard. That's going to be far too hard for you to do. Why are you trying that? The devil will use language like this all the time. He'll say things like, it's going to cost too much. Who's ever ever heard that one? Come on, I know we all have. It's going to cost too much. Don't even think about it. It's going to cost too much. Why are you trying that? You haven't got enough money. He'll say things like this. You're not smart enough. Really? You think you're going to do that? You're not smart enough. Who do you think you are? He'll say things like this to girls. He'll say, you're not pretty enough. He'll say, the guys, you're not cool enough. And he'll bombard us with words of intimidation that we've got to learn to rise above if we're to follow through on the thing that we said we're going to do. I can tell you, mile 19 of the London Marathon, there was a whole lot of words of intimidation swirling around my head. I don't know if they're from the devil or just my own plain stupidity, but something in me had to rise above and say, I'm not going to succumb to this. I tell you, last 12 years working for Equippers Church in London, man, there's been moments when the devil has just brought word of intimidation after word of intimidation. You're never going to succeed. You're never going to break through. You're never going to do what I've called or God has called you to do. And something within us, we've got to rise on the inside and overcome the words of the enemy and live with a spirit of victory, not a spirit of defeat. If you're here this morning and victory uh, is not on the inside of you, but defeat is coming out of your mouth, come on, I want to give you a moment to respond, to say, I'm not going to live under the lies of the enemy, but I'm going to be someone who overcomes and lives with a spirit of victory, amen? A spirit of victory. I love the fact that Jesus never succumbed to the intimidation of the enemy. Never came. One of the music team can come. That'll be great. Never, never, never succumbed to it. Uh, you know, he was, he was called a blasphemer. He was kicked out of cities. He was taken to the edge of a cliff, and they tried to throw him off. How many of you know, right at that moment, many of us would say, whoa, that's too much. 
that's too much. But Jesus has conviction on the inside and is not going to give in to the work of the enemy. And so he just keeps on walking, keeps on walking. How many of you know when he saw the cross before him, knowing what was about to transpire and what was about to happen, the Bible says that, that, that he prayed and cried out and, and sweated sweat that was like blood. He, he was intently aware of what was to come, and yet something in him said, you know what, I, I'm not going to succumb to the intimidation of the enemy. I'm going to be someone who knows how to rise up and to overcome. Pretty simple thoughts this morning. Pretty simple thoughts, but I reckon for every one of us at some point in our life, one of those three things becomes a major obstacle to us. We're going to be people who give up because the enemy says it's too tough. We're going to be people who overcome the power of intimidation. We're going to live by conviction. We're going to live by convenience. We're going to be people who live in fellowship, or we're going to be people who work out our faith in isolation. I believe this morning the Holy Spirit wants to give us an opportunity this morning to not only respond to what He's challenging us in right now, but for some of us, even if I've been speaking, He's been reminding you of things that once upon a time you made a declaration about. He said, I'm going to do this thing. <laughs> and it hasn't worked out right now. Do you know, here's what I love about Jesus is what I love about God is we, we serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of second chances. You know, Peter's just one of the most incredible people in the Bible. And, and today we remember him for changing the world and, and traveling to nations that were massively impacted by his life. A, a guy who wrote uh, sections of the Bible, wrote letters that we remember today. He, here's what I love about Peter is that even though he got it wrong and, and even though he fell over and even though he didn't follow through on the thing he said he was going to do, we serve a God who gives us another go. Another go. Come on, I believe this morning there's some people that's like, it's just, this is your opportunity to go again. This is your opportunity to go again. You might look back and say, man, my mistake was too big. I messed up too big the first time around. But God would say, come on, it's time to go again. It's time to go again. I don't know what your history is. And I don't know where you've been. But I want to say to you, come on, we serve a God who would say, go again. Maybe it didn't work out first time, but go again. Maybe it didn't work out the way you hoped it to first time, but it's time to go again. Amen. You know, Pastor Sam Monk would often travel to London and, uh, over the last few years. And, you know, oftentimes he would come at, at a time when I was feeling discouraged and I tried something, but it didn't work out. Who's ever tried something, but it didn't work out? <laughs> One or two people. And he would come and, and I tried something and, he, and, and it hadn't worked out and I'd be discouraged and, and would be talking and, and, and invariably he would always say the same thing to me. He'd say, hey, just, I really think that you should just give it another go. How many of you know when you've tried something and you're discouraged, you don't want to hear anybody say, give it another go? I'm like, I hate you right now. I don't want to give it another go. I want to give up. <laughs> Can I say to you this morning, give it another go. <laughs> Come on, maybe you're like, ah, I don't want to give it another go. Stroke my ego. Tell me it's going to be all right. No, I'm not here to do that this morning. I'm here to say, come on, give it another go. 
maybe it didn't work out first time. Maybe it didn't work out second time. Come on, give it another go. See what God would do, amen, because he's good. Would you stand to your feet right as we get, before I get ready to close anyway. uh, You guys are going to worship, I'm sure. How about just lifting your hands all over this place, just in the last couple of moments that I have with you. Heavenly Father, right across this place, I, I thank you that here are wonderful, amazing people who love you, that love you, that God who want to follow through and do everything that you have asked them to do. They want to be everything that they've declared they'll be. Right now, Holy Spirit, even as I pray,